0: God said they build their gods. They set them up. They worship them. They pray to them. But that God just stands there. He can't do anything. Verse 8. Remember this and shew yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old. Now here it is. For I am God. And there is none else. I am God. And there is none like me. Now here's what God does. Declaring the end from the beginning. How does he do that? Hmm. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east. The man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. You can be seated. Trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Uh, Hang on just a minute. One of our people here has sent me a text. I need to answer that. Done. All right. Now, the last time we were together talking about this matter of suffering and the sovereignty of God, I told you that this series of sermons that I'm going to be preaching stands on two logical propositions. And the first proposition, I gave it to you. I'll mention it again tonight because it is important. By the way, that's what we're going to talk about our sovereign God. The first proposition is this our world is filled with evil, pain, and suffering. We talked about that last time, and I think we firmly established from the Bible that our world is filled with evil, pain, and suffering. In fact, no one in this room would would probably dispute that because every one of us has experienced that on many different levels in our lives. We understand that. We know what it is to hurt. We know what it is to suffer. We know what it is to experience pain, heartbreak, disease, death, all those things that come with it. We understand that. Evil exists in our world. That's the first proposition. The second proposition is this. God is sovereign over all things. Now, here's the problem. You got, in our human minds, we want to make those two reconcile. And we're going to try to get to where we can hopefully understand some of that interaction. But the fact is, God is a sovereign God. And when we use the term sovereignty to refer to God, let's just be honest, some folk get real nervous because sovereignty presupposes that God has supreme power and authority. That's what it means to be sovereign, one who is supreme in power and authority. As far as God is concerned, it simply means that God is in control of everything. And when we assert the sovereignty of God, we are asserting that God holds all power and all authority over all events, both in heaven and on the earth. Now, as we dig into this, and we're going to talk about that second proposition tonight, or at least begin talking about it. As I told you this morning, our topic is not for the faint of heart, because if you try to understand the sovereignty of God, it will cause you some distress in your spirit. It will. It will also cause you to stretch your mind. But I thank God for the distress it caused me in my spirit when God first talk to me uh, through the Bible about His sovereignty because that distress in the Spirit led me to a place of great comfort in the Lord when I came to understand a little bit about the sovereignty of God so that I could rest in His sovereignty and control and not have to worry about what happens in life. But it will require you to stretch your mind. Now I know what I say tonight and probably next Sunday will not convince everyone who hears my word. Some will rebel against the absolute sovereignty of God. We've already experienced that in our church about 10 years ago. Some of you remember what happened here. Some folk rebelled against the sovereignty of God. But just take comfort in this tonight. I'm not going to get into the matter of election in this service. So you'll be okay. Now, some will not understand the concepts I will present this evening, but some will grasp the truth of God's sovereignty, and I tell you, for those of you who make the effort to understand this, it will change your life, and it will change how you think about the events which occur in your life. But here's what I will say to you, and I ask this as a personal favor. If you have questions, if you have criticisms, bring them to me. Talk to me, not others. Amen? Come and talk to me, and we will talk about it. But be forewarned before we dig into this, we don't have a safe space here. We don't have a place where you can go and color in a coloring book until we get through with this. We just don't have it. And so either buckle in and hang on or just, you know, go ahead and take off now. But whatever you want, there's a playoff game on. You go home and watch that, and you'll be fine. But understanding the sovereignty of God will help you come to terms, I believe, with the issues of pain, evil, and suffering. Because if you can get your mind around the sovereignty of God, you will begin to see your life through a different set of eyes. And even the incomprehensible will begin to make sense to you when you view it through the lens of God's sovereignty. So with my disclaimer out of the way Let's begin to talk about this matter of our sovereign God. Now, our belief in God's sovereignty is stated for us in some of the great confessions of the past. And one I shared with you last time, at least a part of it, I'll share it again tonight, is the Westminster Confession of Faith from 1647. And again, you can see it, but here's what it says. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will freely and unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so is, thereby, neither it so as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Now you say, what in the world does all that mean? It simply means that God's will, God's decree, is the primary reason anything and everything takes place in our world. But he, and most of us can agree with that. We understand that. But when you come to the end of that, he talks about this business of second causes. And so let me talk about second causes just for a minute. While God's decree is the primary cause of why all things happen, there are secondary causes which God uses to accomplish When it comes to people and secondary causes, people act as they choose to act, free from any divine coercion or compulsion. That is, God does not make them do what they do, and yet in doing what they freely do, they always act according to the foreordained plans and purposes of Almighty God. God always accomplishes what God wills to accomplish, but He does does so many times through secondary causes. So bad people do bad things. But God even uses the bad things that bad people do for His own glory and to accomplish His purposes. And God doesn't make them do the bad things. They do the bad things they do because they want to do the bad things they do, but even the bad things they do are part of God's eternal plan. You say, my mind just exploded. So did mine, but it's okay. Hang on. Let me give you, if I can, a concrete example of this from the Scripture. Consider with me, if you will, for a minute, the crucifixion of Christ because the crucifixion of Christ may help us understand this concept. And you see why I'm going to give you this in little chunks, okay? Because this is big, big stuff. Now, Christ's suffering teaches us that pain, evil, and suffering are not outside of God's plan, as many would have us believe. The health and wealth crowd will tell us that if you're God's child, and if you're living right, and if you're loving the Lord, and if you're giving like you should, then you'll never have a problem in your life. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was absolutely sinless, always in His Father's will, He suffered, and that puts a lie to what they teach. Now, Christ's suffering teaches us that pain, evil, and suffering are not outside of God's plan, but a part of God's plan. I'm going to be looking, putting it up here from Acts chapter 4, verse number 27 and 28. Watch what it says. Far of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. Now watch this. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So you've got two individuals and two groups. You have King Herod. You have the Roman governor Pilate. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles in the Roman soldiers. But watch verse 28. What did these people do? For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God did not make them reject Christ. God did not make the Jews cry, crucify, crucify. God did not make the Romans nail him to a cross. God did not make Herod mock him. God did not make Pilate condemn him. They all did that because that's what they wanted to do. And yet God used their these secondary causes to accomplish his primary objective, which was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So even though they did what they did of their own, I hesitate to say, free will, They did it according to the divine plan of God. Now, the death of Jesus was a great act of injustice. In fact, the greatest evil the world has ever known was planned by God. I'm going to say that again so it will sink in on you. The greatest act of evil the world has ever known was planned by God. Because the death of Christ, while it was a great act of injustice, it was also part of the determined, ordained plan of God. Can you prove it? I can. I wouldn't have brought it up otherwise. Acts chapter 2, watch this, verses 22 and 23. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now watch, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. When it says He is delivered by the determinate counsel, that word determinate means to mark out the boundaries and the limits. God had already determined this would take place. This was a foregone conclusion. As I said, God made no one do what they did in the death of Christ, but the death of Christ was foreordained. And He says it's according to the foreknowledge That word means to prearrange something. God foreknows things, not because He looks down through some mystical tunnel of time and sees what will happen. God knows things because God plans things. God says this is what will happen, and then God orchestrates all the events together to make what He says will happen happen. And God says that this Jesus who was This death was marked out beforehand and prearranged by God. Peter says, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Then he goes on to tell us how God raised him from the dead. So here's the issue. God decreed that Jesus would die on the cross before the world was ever formed. And God, in time, accomplished the death of Christ using the hands of wicked people. The people who crucified Christ, and I say it for the third time, they were not forced to do what they did. God did not turn them into automatons and make them do what they did. They did what they wanted to do. They operated freely within the realm of their depravity and they did what they did because they hated God, they hated Christ, they hated truth, they did what they did, and yet even those evil acts were ordained to accomplish the end of God, but God was not re- morally responsible for their sin in killing Christ. You said that makes no sense to me, join the club. Some things you accept by faith, and this is one of those things that we do. They freely chose to murder the Son of God, yet God used their sin to accomplish His purposes. Does that make sense? All right. Even the everyday events of life, events which sometimes may seem accidental and random, even those minor events are ordained by God. Some events, like the numbers drawn in a lottery... They seem truly random or contingent upon a, on a human level, but God still controls exactly which numbers are drawn. You sound don't understand all that in me neither. But look at Proverbs sixteen thirty three: The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. In modern terms, you can roll the dice, but God determines what numbers come up every single time. There's never a roll of the dice that God's not in control of. Even the flip of the coin next week at the Super Bowl is controlled by God. There are no accidents in life. Now some would say, you're taking this too far. The problem I have is I don't have the language, I don't have the ability to take it far enough. God is absolutely sovereign. And if I can impress that upon your heart tonight, that will help you the next time the bottom falls out of your life. Because you may not understand why someone got sick. You may not understand why someone died. You may not understand why this calamity took place. And you don't have to understand it. But if you can understand that God in His goodness, has a preordained plan, and everything is working out according to that plan, it will help put it into a context of the goodness of God working in your life. And even though you can't see what God is doing, you can believe in the goodness of God. And like Spurgeon said, when you can't trace His hand, you can trust His heart because God knows what He is doing. Now, God's plan also, as I've already alluded to, it includes those things that we call bad. Watch this. Psalm 60, verse 3. The psalmist said, Thou hast shewed thy people hard things, though thou thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. So the psalmist there says we're going through all these hard times and ultimately those hard times came about because of their disobedience to God. But God is the one who ordained the hard times. God is the one who sent them. God is the one who did it. God is the one, in Job's case, who takes absolute credit for it. When God spoke to Satan the second time about Job, God said, you've moved my hand against him without cause. God did not look at that and say, man, what have you done to my servant? God said, you've caused me to do this. You have, you have moved me to do this. And God took full credit for what happened in Job's life. Bad though it was, God said, this is something I am doing. It was all part of God's plan. Even the, even the suggestion of Satan to do it had been ordained by God. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I'm sorry. If you get outside the realm of God's sovereignty, then you open up an area in which God is not in control, and that brings in a whole host of problems. If the devil can do anything that's outside the realm of God's control, then we've got an issue. If he can get away with one thing over here, then he can get away with something else over there. You've got to think about it. Either God is sovereign, which means he has all power in heaven and earth, or he isn't. You can't have it both ways. He either is or he isn't. Maybe he's, maybe he's 99% sovereign, then he's not sovereign. It's all or nothing. Tim Keller writes this. I'm going to read this as a lengthy quote. I'm going to read a couple by him tonight. He says, God's plan works through our choices, not around our despite." Our choices have consequences, and we are never forced by God to do anything. We always do what we most want to do. God works out His will perfectly through our willing action, end quote. He's right about that. We do what we want to do, but yet God uses what we do as part of His plan. I can understand that, but that's what God does. So that's the first thing we talked about, about the Westminster Confession. God is the primary cause and he uses secondary causes. I'm going to give you another quote from the Westminster and talk about that for a minute. It also says, although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it in the future, or as that which could come to pass upon such conditions? In short, as I said a minute ago, God did not look down through the corridors of time and see what you and I would do and then build a plan around that. That's not what God did. God planned what we would do without looking down the corridors of time. God simply decreed it, and that's what it is. God decided what would happen in this world. He decreed what would take place in time, and everything God decreed will take place simply because God decreed it to take place. Nothing God has decreed will fail to take place. And again, I quote Tim Keller, who said this. He said, The Bible teaches that God is completely in control of what happens in history. And yet he exercises that control in such a way that human beings are responsible for their freely chosen actions and the results of those actions. Human freedom and God's direction of historical events are therefore completely compatible. To put it practically and vividly, Keller said, if a man robs a bank, That moral evil is fully his responsibility, though it is also a part of God's plan. End quote. You say, that makes no sense to me. You mean people do evil and even that evil is part of God's plan? Absolutely. When God brought Solomon into the world, he did not bring Solomon from David through one of David's legitimate marriages. He brought Solomon through his relationship with Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a woman who was married to another man when David took her. He was an adulterer. She was an adulteress. And even though God did not condone that relationship, God used that evil to accomplish his will. You say, I can't think. I won't be able to sleep tonight, preacher. Well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I came to terms with some of this stuff 25 years ago, and it's hard to get your mind around, but it's true. God did not make David do what he did with Bathsheba, and David was morally responsible for what he did with her, yet even what he did was part of God's plan. Does not make God the author of evil, because man freely operates and does as he pleases, and yet God uses even our evil to accomplish His eternal will. Y'all still with me, or did I lose you right there? (laughs) Don't you wish you'd have stayed home tonight? Now, in a world filled with evil, pain, and suffering, our God is a sovereign God. And as we move into this text next week, we're going to talk about that second proposition that God is sovereign over all things. All things. Things I like. Things I don't like. Things I understand. Things I don't understand. Death. Disease, destruction, calamity, fire, famine, war, sin, everything. God is sovereign over all. Now that does not bother me. I'm not developing any indigestion over this truth. In fact, I can go home tonight and get into my bed and lay my head on my pillow and drift off to sleep confident in the knowledge that the universe is in good hands. Because God knows what He's doing. I may not understand everything God is doing, but God knows what He's doing. Sometimes things happen that blow my mind. You know what I mean? I went to, uh, this is just kind of a silly example, but I went, had to make a trip a while back. I was going down to Florida for vacation. Had to go have my car service. So went to have the oil changed, had the tires rotated, took it in, and my car was getting a few miles on it, about 140 now. And I took it in, and old boy says, "We'll have it ready in a minute. I said, all right. And he comes back in there in a little bit, and he says, um, um, we got a problem. I said, we got a problem or I got a problem? He said, well, you got a problem. I said, what's my problem? He said, you got a front wheel bearing worn out. And he said, your back brakes have about a tenth of an inch of pad left on them. He said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I got to drive it 600 miles an mile, I said, I guess you better fix it. So I took it in for a $40 oil change. About $700 later, I'm driving out. I looked at that and I said, Lord, we're going on vacation. I could have used that to buy some sunscreen, get me a new Speedo, whatever. But no, 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 no. Had to put it in my car. And I did not understand that, you know. And I might have, I might have fussed a little bit. I might have said, I don't get this. But then I remembered God knows what he's doing. And God said, To me, basically, not an audible voice and not in the words of Scripture, but just kind of in my, you know, my thinking, it's kind of like, what are you whining about? You had the money to pay for it. Just write the check and shut up. Thank you, Lord. Yes, sir. And write the check. That guy might have needed it more than me. I don't know. But that was all part of God's plan for my life. And so I've got to take it in that context And when I look at it that way, It helps me. It helps me. When I think about people in our church who have suffered and who have gotten sick and some have not gotten well but they have died. I understand that even that is also a part of God's plan. It doesn't make it easy on a human level. It doesn't take away our grief over losing that person or our anguish over watching them suffer. But we understand in the midst of all of that that God is working out an eternal plan. And even that sickness and that death is a part of God's plan. And if God has that planned for us, we can also anticipate that in the midst of all of that, His grace for us will be sufficient. And we can also understand that none of those things happen without purpose. There is a purpose in all of it. Ultimately, the purpose is the glory of God, but for our lives it may play out in some uh, smaller fashion, but God always has a reason for what He allows our sins, or if you will, ordains in our lives. If I did not believe that, I would go crazy. I would go crazy. Because I'm not prone to worry. Some of you guys are. I feel sorry for you. I tend to bottle all this stuff up, you know. And it just kind of gets in there and it's just like this powder keg waiting to explode sometimes. But it's, it's all in there. And... The only outlet I have is to go before God and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why they're hurting. I don't understand why you don't fix this. I, I don't understand why this is taking place in their lives. But then I go back to the Word of God, and I understand that God has a plan that I am not party to. I don't know what he's doing. I wasn't with God in the council halls of eternity when God made his decrees and established his plans and God has not seen fit to share that with me. God's counsel to me, his command to me is that I walk humbly with my God that I simply walk with Him and go with Him through the good times and through the bad times, trusting that when I don't know the way, He is the way. And it will be okay at the end of the way. So tonight we're going to leave it there. God is sovereign. We will, Lord willing, next Sunday night, Come back to this passage and pick up with the first point of my sermon. And we will deal with verses 9, 10, and 11 and talk to you about our sovereign God. So you got a week to chew on this. Go home and reread this passage and think about the Jews who were so dumb to have. Idols made for themselves. Idols that could not move and could not hear and could not save them out of their trouble. And all the time they had a God who was sovereign. A God who planned the end before the beginning. And God was able to bring it all to pass according to His will. That is our God. Go back and meditate in Acts 4 and Acts 2 about the death of Christ. And how God planned all of that. The death of Jesus wasn't a sorry mistake. It was God's plan. The Romans didn't mess up. The Jews didn't mess up. It was God's plan. Every bit of it. But remember, God made no one do what they did. They did what they did because they wanted to do what they did. And yet everything they did was part of what God had ordained. Now that will fry your brain box. But it's true. Amen. All right, we're going to pray together.